Welcome to Basic Brewing Radio for Thursday, October 20th. I'm James Spencer. Here at Basic Brewing Radio, we're all about home brewing, making beer at home. With this week, kegging. We talked with our good buddy Andy Sparks of the Home Brewery about saying bye-bye to the bottle, at least if you want to. Using kegs is one way to serve up your favorite brew. But first, I want to thank everyone who wrote in questions for David Logston of Y-East. As I produce this, I just got off the phone with Dave not too long ago, and I think you'll be excited about our talk about all the things having to do with yeast. It was a very interesting and very long conversation. And uh, now the hard part. I've got to decide how I'm going to serve up our chat to you on the show. It may take two or three episodes to run all we talked about. So... I'm really grateful to Dave Logston for all the time he took with me on the phone. And once again, I'm grateful for all the questions from our listeners who wrote in. Very exciting stuff. Before we get any further, I want to remind you that if you click on the banner ad for Brew Your Own Magazine on our basicbrewingradio.com site, you can sign up for a free issue. And if you decide to subscribe after that issue, you'll be helping to support this podcast. Well, now let's look into the mailbag. Dan from New Jersey writes in to ask a question about dry hopping. Dan was going to use a bag to put his hops into the secondary fermenter, but after hearing our interview with Gerard Lemons a few weeks ago, he decided to drop the hops directly in. Now he wants to know how to avoid clogging his racking tube when it comes time to bottle. Dan asks if he can use cheesecloth and a rubber band to cover the end of the tube to ask as a filter and whether that would aerate the beer too much. Well, I don't know if I'd worried about aeration, but I would be concerned about sanitation. You want to make sure the rubber band didn't come out of the yard from the morning paper. Uh, Any equipment that comes in contact with the beer needs to be sanitized. I've seen metal mesh filters for sale on some websites that are designed for this purpose. However, the sites say not to use them with plastic because they may scratch plastic surfaces, making them hard to sanitize. I guess you could use a short length of copper to put the metal filter on, then plug the copper into your plastic hose. I've read uh, others use those stainless steel scrub pads to stick on the end of hoses and uh, racking wands to filter out hops and trube. Uh, but again, you'd want to use a new one and uh, sanitize. And uh, don't use the ones with the soap uh, built in. That wouldn't be good. I want to say thanks to David in Honolulu who uh, sent in advice to help uh, Greg with his question on brewing in our 50th state. Uh, David also uses ice in a cooler to help bring the uh, temperature down of his uh, fermenting beer. And I uh, forwarded that information directly to uh, Greg. I want to say howdy to uh, Johan in Sweden. I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Johan, he's, uh, he's listening to the podcast now. I just think it's cool. We've got listeners around the world. Johan's getting uh, started brewing with our DVD. Jay from uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas, here in our neighborhood, here in northwest Arkansas, also got our uh, DVD and asks if there are any benefits to aging in a bottle rather than in a keg. Well, I think we answer that question fairly well with today's show, but the main advantages to bottling, in my opinion, are portability and cost. You don't have to buy kegging equipment or recharge CO2 bottles, but there are also advantages to kegging, and you'll hear those in just a moment. You'll be able to make up your own mind, which you like better. And uh, since we're talking about kegging, let's uh, let's get on to talking about kegging. We uh We recently joined Andy Sparks in the back of his homebrew shop to get an overview of the way to kick 
the bottle habit. It's great to be here again, James. Uh, anytime you want to get together and talk about beer and brewing, it's fine with me. Well, great, especially if we can drink some beer. Yeah, we've for been sure. and we have been drinking some beer. We're, we're drinking now my California Common, which uh, cheers, cheers. I I think it's one of the it's one of my favorite beers that I've ever done. Well, it's a delicious beer. It's a unique beer style um, that uh, we can't talk about it and use the word steam when we refer to it anymore because it's bankers trade, steam, trademarked. That's trademarked. But uh, we all know what we're drinking. It's a, a classic beer from from the early times uh, before prohibition uh, when they were able to make beer with flavor. <laughs> so. And it's made with a lager yeast, but it's it's uh, fermented at ale temperatures. Exactly. Sometimes referred to as a cream ale. Um, uh, but uh, typically now it's referred to as California Common. And uh, it's uh, usually got a little bitterness to it. Uh, it's usually clear or uh, kind of straw-colored. Uh, has some hop aroma and character. It's uh, a delicious beer. Well, thank you. And it, if you were to if you were to actually lager this beer, uh, you'd get probably a drier taste than what we're having here. This is right. fruitier. Yeah, that's the thing. The, the the warm temperatures bring out the fruitiness in the yeast and and some of the higher alcohols. But uh, that's part of what makes I I think makes it taste good. Is it has more more flavor profile, maybe uh, mm-hmm. richer uh, flavor profile. And and I had the. Uh, uh, the pleasure of, of trying uh, a beer that you've made recently, and it was a wheat beer made with Amarillo oh. hops. And you didn't want to talk about it because uh, it doesn't exactly stay within the guidelines of a, of a, of a wheat beer. But you, you know, well, that's true. It's technically a, it's an American wheat beer, so I have a little leeway with the hops. But uh, I was definitely trying to, to drive the hop character up. We got some new hops in. That's a new type of hops that's uh, just become available to homebrew shops around the country. Um, called Amarillo, and uh, it's definitely got a pronounced citrus character to it, uh, similar to Cascade, Amer- another, another American hop. But a lot of times people describe Cascade as being a, uh, have a citrus character, orange kind of character. A lot of people describe these Amarillos as having almost a grapefruit uh, character, and uh, I uh, lovingly call this uh, American wheat beer uh, grapefruit juice because it has a... a <laughs> It definitely has an uh, uh, aroma of uh, amarillo hops, so it's uh, but, you know, interesting to, to me. And, and it was it was a, it's a great beer. And well, thank I, you. You know, but amarillo hops it's they're kind of the hot thing now, aren't they? They are. They're they're actually right now they're almost impossible to get. Uh, they should the the hop uh, the crop is just coming in now, and uh, they have boosted the production of amarillo because they were so popular last year and had sold out most of the most places that carried it had sold out. So they should uh, should have it in the market, and and we will have it here at the home brewery. Well, I can't wait because if I can make something like that beer that you made, uh, I want to make it. And you know, you shouldn't be embarrassed about not staying within the style uh, guidelines, Andy. You gotta push the limit. That's yeah, the it's all, all being a brewing beer is all about uh, uh, being creative, and you know, and breaking the rules every now and then. Sometimes you got to break the rules. There you go. But we're not here to talk about our beers. Although, you know, we could talk about our beers all day. <laughs> For uh, sure. We're here to talk about what we do with our beers after they're, uh, after they're fermented. And, uh, you know, usually uh, bottling. Uh, you know, I've always been a bottler. Yeah, that's where everybody starts. Uh, it's the easy way to start with bottles. Um, but uh, we're going to talk today about uh, how to keg your homebrew. And uh, makes it a little easier in some ways because you just have one one big bottle to clean. Um 
but it does require additional equipment and uh, some additional steps in cleaning and getting ready. So, you know, there's some give and take, but uh, most of the advanced homebrewers nowadays keg their beer just because it uh, gets you from the fermenter to the glass a little faster. So, yeah, let's talk about the advantages of why why you would want to use a keg. Like you just said, you, right after right after it uh, it comes out of the fermenter, it goes in the keg and it's ready to drink right there. Well, almost. Um, you know, we, we talked in one of the earlier episodes about you know uh, single stage versus uh, double stage or two stage fermentation. After your beer has cleared in your secondary fermenter, or if you're using a single stage, you've just given it plenty of time to clear. Uh, then you can rack it into a, to a clean keg. And what we use in home brewing uh, is the uh, empty. Uh, soda uh, syrup canisters. These are the ones that Pepsi and uh, Coke have used for years, and uh, they pretty much have gotten out of the business of using these stainless kegs. It's uh, called a Cornelius keg, right? Exactly. Or, or a corny keg. Corny keg. And uh, they basically stopped using them. They've gone to a bag-in-the-box kind of a syrup uh, solution. So these are available, um, and the nice thing about them is they are stainless, which means they can be thoroughly cleaned and sanitized. The other nice thing is they hold exactly five gallons, which happens to be what we make every time we brew. Mm-hmm. So uh, they work really nicely for home brewing. Um, but the big advantage to kegging uh, is one, it's one one bottle to clean. Uh, that's usually the biggest headache for home brewers is bottling. Uh, you have a lot of bottles. You're going to make a five-gallon batch will make, oh, about two cases of beer, sometimes mm-hmm. a little more. Um and uh, that's a lot of bottles to scrub and clean. And when you go to bottle it, it's uh, each bottle has to be filled and capped, filled and capped, filled and capped. It takes a while. Um, it's not hard to do, but it's it's one of the things that is a little more troublesome and takes a little time. And and usually is the thing that people dislike the most about the hobby. Um, with kegging, uh, you have one vessel. It's easy to clean. You can get your whole arm down inside it and scrub it out, take it apart. Uh, it's stainless, so you know it's 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 sanitizable. Um, but that's you know the real the real benefit to it. And and after you put the beer in the keg, how soon after you keg it can you start okay. kegging it? The way the the way I normally do it, um, there's a couple different ways, but we'll we'll uh, talk about this way first. Um, is after you get your beer in uh, cleared um, in your secondary fermenter, uh, you'll uh, rack or siphon your beer down into a clean and sanitized uh, or sterilized, uh, really sanitized, sterilizing would would Im- imply like an autoclave or something, but, mm-hmm. but uh, a sanitized uh, uh, keg. Uh, then I usually put the lid on it and I use a little CO2 to purge off any oxygen that's left inside the keg uh, with the beer. And then I refrigerate it and I usually leave it in the refrigerator overnight to drive the temperature down somewhere in the low 40s uh want to get it good and cold um and that has to do with the rate at which co2 dissolves into solution um if uh, a beer that's cold will absorb more co2 than a beer that's warm so if you're trying to to get co2 into your beer to carbonate it it's easier to do if it's cold so the step is to fill your keg seal it off, purge off any additional oxygen with CO2, and then stick it into a refrigerator, get it cold, and I usually, it takes a day for that, and then I take it out, and I'll hook it up to a CO2 tank. And there's a couple different uh, methods for doing this. There's there's one where you can actually calculate how much pressure to put it on, 
and uh, leave it under that pressure for a specified amount of time, and eventually the CO2 will dissolve in to solution based on the, the pressure gradient and the time. Uh, but I don't do that. What I do is I simply uh, turn the pressure up on the CO2 um, to 15 uh, 20 pounds of pressure, and then I start to rock the keg back and forth. And when you do that, you'll hear the CO2 start to dissolve into solution. Actually, you just hear it hiss into the bottle, into mm. the uh, into the keg, uh, and it just kind of makes a sl- slight hissing sound. But if you stop shaking the keg, the hissing sound will go away, and that's an indication that as you rock it, you're dissolving the CO2 into solution, making room for more CO2 to come into the keg. And I'll rock it back and forth for. Oh, 15, 20 minutes, about as long as I can stand. Um, it gets kind of old. <laughs> and then uh, I unhook it. Uh, now you've basically got a keg full of, of carbonated beer, but it's also been shaken for about 20 minutes. So <laughs> I usually stick it back in the refrigerator and let it calm down overnight. The next day I'll get a beer glass and uh, take a, a tap over to the keg and snap it on and pour myself a glass. And... Uh, yeah, you know, sometimes it's just right. Sometimes it little needs a little little extra boost of CO2, in which case I'll do a little more of the rocking back and forth under pressure. Um, but uh, usually it only takes one or two small sessions, and it's ready to drink. Um, and that's the real nice thing about kegging, is that there you don't have to wait for it to prime um, in the bottle, which usually takes a good couple weeks. So, uh, so there's no adding of the priming sugar right. with, with the Well, kegging. I want to make it clear, though, that some people do prime their beer naturally in kegs. So some people mm. will add corn sugar to a keg, and instead of doing the method that I just described, shaking it and uh, dissolving the CO2 into solution, they'll do it like a giant beer bottle and they'll mm. or a naturally carbonated beer. Um, and they'll put a, a measured amount of corn sugar into the keg and... Uh, then let it sit for a few weeks. You have to leave, leave it out at room temperature so that the, the, it can have another little uh, uh, fermentation. Um, it will uh, carbonate the beer. Um, and then you're, you're ready to chill it and serve it. The one thing I will note that if you do naturally carbonate your keg beer, you'll want to take the, uh, the dip tube. And we're going to talk about the parts of the keg in a minute. But there's a long stainless steel tube that d- goes all the way to the bottom of a keg. This is the true one big kegs you see uh, in restaurants or even these little corny kegs that we're using here. Um, but what you'll want to do if you're going to naturally carbonate your beer is take the long dip tube out and take a hacksaw and cut off about a half inch of the long dip tube because what's going to happen is you're going to get some yeast that forms on the bottom of your keg. And that'll help you uh, keep from sucking that yeast up into the glass every time you go to serve um, a beer and... Uh, which, you know, it just makes for a, a more presentable product. So if you're going to naturally carbonate, you probably want to shorten your dip tube a, a little bit. Now, is there a difference in the character of the beer if you do the natural carbonation and if you mm. do the forced carbonation? Well, it depends who you ask. Uh, some people really feel strongly that uh, natural carbonation is the only way to go and that it's, you know, a, a much finer product. I have trouble telling the difference between one that's been charged with CO2, forced this, had the CO2 forced into it, or whether it's naturally carbonated. I think the truth is it's, it's CO2 dissolved into solution is what you're tasting. And it, the method of doing that is probably, you know, incidental. It's, uh, but some people feel very strongly about that. And, uh, it's something that uh, I know you've found in this hobby that a lot of different ways of doing things, and everybody has a, an opinion. Most of their opinions are pretty strong. <laughs> so, 
Now, the the uh, the beer that you you force carbonate, it still has yeast in it in suspension, so it's still going to do a bit of conditioning over time. Sure, sure. Your beer will still condition, although when you keg, you tend to, um, since you immediately chill the beer for pre-charging, pre-carbonating, um, you, you chill it and then you stick it in the fridge uh, after you carbonate it. Um, the amount of conditioning it can do is relatively minor because the, the yeast is all falling out of solution pretty readly. And, uh, excuse me, I've got a, I've got a call. Um, and, uh, live, live radio, live-ish yeah. radio. Well, the, the, uh, but the, um, if you had a lager, say, sure, you would get, you would probably get more, uh, benefit out of, uh, Right, right. In the cooler temperatures um, of the fridge. The other, the other issue about conditioning and kegs, um, and this is something that I've found out of personal experience, is that when you have kegged beer around, you tend to uh, go and have a half a glass of beer pretty much any time you want instead of having to open a whole nother beer. <laughs> so I don't find a problem with uh, beer lasting very long in the keg. Uh, it doesn't ever condition very much. It usually just gets uh, drank up. So. Well, well, that was that was one of my questions is that uh, if you've got a, a keg full of beer, uh, to use that keg again, you've got you've to drink all that beer. Whereas if you do bottles, you can kind of archive some bottles. You can set some bottles down in the cellar or whatever, and, right. and you, can, you can have those for, for later on. So maybe if you want to archive a beer, uh, you do the bottling, and maybe if you want to have a beer that you want to just enjoy the way it is and, and do it in a hurry, you can, you can do the keg. Sure. You can do that. Um, you know, the, 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 the thing about archiving a beer and... Um, a lot of people that uh, that like you say want to archive away a beer or two, or maybe want to enter contests, which also require bottled beer. Mm-hmm. Um, Can't send a keg to a contest. Well, there are there are some contests that you do send a keg to. Um, <laughs> Can we have one? <laughs> yeah, uh, send your keg to us. Um, but um, most of the time, what people do that the homebrewers that keg their beer mostly. There's still some of them that enter contests reg- regularly, and uh, there's a couple techniques for doing that. And uh, one is to use a special piece of equipment called a counter pressure bottle filler, um, and it allows you to. It's a basically a small bottling plant. Um, it's a couple little pieces of equipment that allow you to pressurize a bottle and then push the beer into it under pressure. Um, it's a it's pretty difficult little uh, piece of apparatus to master and to, to do well. Um, I've found, and, and some of my friends that uh, that are professional or certified beer judges um, have found, uh, is that you really can do a pretty good job by simply chilling the bottles before you use them, and you chill your beer and get it carbonated in the keg, and then simply pour the cold beer into a cold bottle, and as it starts to foam out the top, cap it, and that little bit of foam will cause cause any oxygen to be pushed out, and then when it settles back leave you an appropriate headspace hmm. and the beer's still carbonated you've sealed it in the bottle so now it's okay and uh i've had friends win ribbons that that beer came out of kegs and hmm. and they just bottled it up that way and they've you know used that method as well to take beers to friends and stuff so huh. it is possible um if you want to bottle up a couple be- bottles you can take a couple bottles out of a beer out of your keg and cap them up and, and use them later 
Well, let's let's talk about the. Are you ready to talk about the piece of equipment sure. itself? Let's, sure. Let's move on. What are the what are the parts? Okay. Well, when you get your uh, your corny keg, uh, and I'm sure everybody you know knows what we're talking about because you've seen them behind uh, fast food restaurants for years, yeah. um, and that's, that's not where I would ex- where I suggest you get yours from. <laughs> uh, I would suggest you get yours from a reputable source. Um, and they are fairly inexpensive nowadays because Pepsi and Coke aren't using them so much anymore. They're pretty easy to come by. And so I would definitely say, try to, try to do the honest thing and get it the right way. And, and, uh, there there may be some safety issues. Exactly. You know, you want to get one from a reputable source that's maybe checked all the uh, parts and made sure that they're all still safe. Uh, you don't want to put too much pressure on these things, but they, you know, they are something that will be under pressure, and you want to make sure that it all works. Um, but basically, when you look at your keg, it's going to have kind of rubber handles on the top. It's a, a cylinder of stainless steel, and there'll be a little lid on the top, and then two uh, places where you can connect uh, this the two spigot cup, and yeah, little couplings. Um, there's two t- types of kegs. There's one called ball lock and one called pin lock. And those have to do with these little protruding um, connections. The pin lock is the Coke style, and they have small pins that when you put the adapter on that connects to your tap or your CO2 tank, it has some pins that allow you to key the thing on, twist it, and it locks the thing in place. The Pepsi ones are called ball lock, and they simply use like a quick disconnect with some ball bearings. And those are the preferred keg to use. Um, Almost everybody... Uh, uses the ball lock ones just because they are a little easier to disconnect and and uh, and work with, and uh, they, because they become the most popular, it seems to be the one that you can get the parts for the easiest. Um, but uh, on the top, there is a lid um, that has a handle, and in the middle of the handle is a uh, small pressure relief valve. Okay, and when you go to use a keg. And you want to open it up. It's extremely important that you go ahead and pull the pin and allow it to vent whatever pressure is in the keg. Um, you don't want to try and pull the, the, the door open or this lid open with it under pressure. You probably couldn't get it open because the lid will be forced closed by the pressure of the keg. But still, you don't want to be messing with it. You want to go ahead and vent off the pressure with the little pull valve. Sometimes it's a little rocker valve that you can rock back and forth to vent the pressure with. But once you do that, you can flip the little handle and then you will push the lid down into the keg, twist it to the side and lift it out. You'll find that it has a rubber O-ring around the base of it. Um, This rubber O-ring, if your keg has been used for soda pop, especially things like uh, Dr. Pepper or root beer, things that are very pungent, you'll want to replace all the rubber fittings in your keg because you'll be able to smell that smell and you will be able to taste that in your beer when you get it done. So always look for that and then replace any of the rubber rubber O-rings and stuff that you find, especially if they were used in something. Uh, I think, you know, Sprite and stuff like that is pretty... Uh, pretty mild. You might be able to get away with that, but I typically just replace them all when I get a new keg or a, a used keg. Um, so with that out, you can look down inside the keg and you can see the long dip tube. And this is the, the, the dip tube that the beer will flow out of when you get the keg all put together. You'll see it sticking all the way down into the very bottom of the keg. Um, what you can do is, depending on how the the little... Uh, the valves are attached. Some are attached with a standard uh, hex 
kind of bolt and uh, or a nut, and then others have a small uh, have a, have a kind of a different star shaped one. Those require a special tool, um, but the, the 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 ball locks normally have just a kind of a hex uh, shaped nut on them that you can unscrew. Um, so you want to take those apart, uh, unscrew them, and when you do, you'll see the dip tube, the top of the dip tube, um, kind of sitting in, in on top of the keg. Um, and you can pull that out, and I always do this. I take both the dip tubes out. You'll find one is very long and curved and goes all the way to the bottom of the keg, and then there'll be a short one, okay? The long one is the one that beer travels out when you dispense it. The short one is the one that the gas goes into the keg on. So you'll take both of those out. You want to, after you get all the dip tubes out and all the valves off of it, now you just have a basically a stainless steel cylinder. Now I clean this thoroughly. Um, try and get down in there with a brush and make sure it's thoroughly clean. Try to reach up underneath the lip and clean where the dip tubes come out. Because that's a, a spot that can, can harbor, uh, grunge and stuff like that as well. And again, it's, and it's essential that you sanitize this as it, just as you would sanitize a beer bottle. Exactly. Like so give it a good, good thorough washing. Don't be afraid to get a little soap in there. You don't want to use any cleaners that, you know, floor cleaner or 409 <laughs> or any of those things, but some mild dish soap uh, on a scrubby pad. You never use um, steel wool on stainless steel. Uh, you will ruin your stainless steel if you do that. So use a uh, like a, a plastic uh, scrubby uh, sponge or something, uh, and go ahead and get it good and soapy, get it good and clean, uh, and rinse it out good. And then um, when we get the keg all put back together, we will put a sanitizing solution in it and slosh it around really good, and then drain it out. And then I like to pour in a little bit of uh, uh, water from a like bottled water or something like that, something that I know is good and clean, and push that out through the lines with the CO2. And that makes mm-hmm. sure that any sterilant that got up into the dip tubes um, is, is purged from the keg as well. So um, let's talk a little bit about these little things called the poppet valves. And these are the valves that are on the very top, and these are the ones that we unscrew to get to the dip tubes. If you pull them off, they have a little, um, when you look at them, they, it's kind of a circle within a circle. And you'll, what you'll need to do is you'll actually have to set these on a table, and you'll have to use something like a screwdriver or a uh, something hard to push the little center uh, of it out. And when you do, it'll pop out, and then what you'll find is a little spring-loaded valve that comes out the bottom. Okay, and this is the little poppet valve, and you can replace these. You can get these from most homebrew shops. Um, and, do you, do uh, you need to replace them? You need to replace them if you're if the spring's bad, and what'll happen is they won't hold pressure anymore. Mm. And so if if you get it all together and you put it under pressure, and you you, you yeah. should do this, put it together, put some water in it, and try to put it under pressure and make sure water doesn't come leaking out of your valves before you fill it with beer. Yeah. Um, because then it's too late. You you now filled it up with good beer and it's leaking out the sides, and now you have to muck about with it and try and get it into something else. So test it. So test it with water before you um, put your precious beer in it. But anyway, you want to pop those out, give them a good clean, and that's the part, real main thing is you want to be able to get because this has got the spring in here, and grunge can get caught up in here, and and just a rinsing won't get that out. So you want to pop those out, give it a good cleaning, get up in there with Q-tips, and clean these little valves out. Um, I usually soak them and uh, get any grunge all loosened up on them. 
But that's pretty much it. Um, there's some on the dip tubes. Both dip tubes have a dip tube O-ring that will slide up and go up near the top, and that's one of the things that keeps it from uh, that hold helps it hold pressure. Um, but you just slide them down, back down into the keg, and then uh, with your little poppet valves, you'll pop these things back down into the valves, and then you set them on top of the dip tube and screw them into place. Now, does now you were looking at there was a, a marking on on one right. and not on the other. They, does, right. Is there an in valve and an out valve? There sure different? is, and they are different. And I would, when you take your keg apart, note which ones <laughs> they are. I had to run over and get another keg a second ago and just double check um, and make sure it's just like a carpenter. Measure twice, <laughs> cut once. Um, so, yeah, you, what you'll find is there's some little notches usually on the, the, the nut part the part you use to un to loosen it, um, and that's usually on the in inside uh, or the in valve. So, uh, but the best thing to do is just to pay attention when you take it apart, <laughs> and uh, you won't have the same problem I have. So, <laughs> but uh, we'll just loosely fit those on there and, and twist them down. So but, you're uh, you're actually getting this keg ready for a exactly. A beer. Uh, I have a beer at home that's uh, ready to go. It's an uh, American Brown. With Amarillo hops in it as well, seven hop additions. It's a, I'm quite <laughs> proud of, uh, and I'll probably dry hop it as well. So, uh, but anyway, it should be a tasty one. Um, and I'm getting it ready, getting the keg ready to take home and, and fill up tonight. So, well, hopefully uh, I'll have a chance to uh, to taste that that beer as well. Oh, I'm sure you will, James. <laughs> well, Andy, is there are there any parting words? Uh, anything that we've forgotten to talk about with kegs? Um. Sanitize, sanitize, sanitize. Mm-hmm. This is everything. You want to make sure everything's good and clean. But uh, the key point uh, also is is make sure you get all the sanitizer out. You certainly don't want to leave any sanitizer in the keg or in the lines that could affect the flavor of your beer. You don't want to be pouring a whole keg of beer out because it tastes like iodine or Clorox mm-hmm. or, or whatever sanitizer you're using. Good point. Well, again... Wow. Looks like it sounds like it sounds like we're getting a storm coming. That's good. We need the rain for sure. All right. Well, that's environmental radio here yeah. in the in the back uh, of the shop. Well, Andy, thanks again for uh, for having us in your store and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. Well, I'm sure we can. Thanks for having me on on the podcast, James. Thanks, Andy. And thanks again to Andy Sparks for all the help. You can visit Andy's homebrew store at thehomebrewery.com. That's thehomebrewery.com. And if you're unsure of what a corny keg looks like, look at the picture in the description of this week's episode on basicbrewingradio.com. Next week, the first part of our conversation with David Logston of Why Yeast. We dive deeply into the subject of yeast, and I hope we come up with the answers to many of your questions about our microscopic helpers. And if you hear you hear jingling in the background, that's my dog Penny. If you have a, if you have brewing questions, uh, show suggestions, or just want to say hey, write to James at basicbrewing.com, or just fill out the contact form on basicbrewing.com. And please don't forget to tell us where you're from. And if you're wanting to get into home brewing while you're on our site, you can check out our DVD, Basic Brewing Introduction to Extract Home Brewing. We'll walk you through the process step by step. You can see a listing of the fine folks across the country who sell our DVD. And if there isn't a vendor in your area, you can order it online. 
Well, that's all until next week. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm James Spencer. Production help for Basic Brewing Radio and our website is provided by Kelly Dotson. Basic Brewing Radio is a production of Active Voicing. We'll talk to you next time. So long.